day I write songs when I feel this way I grab my guitar and I play I got the Merle Haggard Blues today Good day to you all. Welcome to Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. I'm your host, Tessa Morrow. And that awesome music? Well, that was courtesy of my friend, country legend, Bobby Mackey. Haunted hotels. They're everywhere. Each different with legends, myths, resident spirits, history, and what have you. I'm always trying to find neat bizarre places and things to do episodes on. So if there's a spooky haunted location in your town, let me know. It just may find itself in an episode someday. Email me at paranormal.prowlers.podcast at gmail.com. Meanwhile, as you're thinking of a place, I want to talk about Hotel Chelsea in good old New York City. between 1883 and 1885, this historic landmark has had countless people walk through its doors, checking in, but that's right, not everybody has checked out. Looking at this beautiful hotel, knowing the history it holds on to, If you are in the area, in the neighborhood of Chelsea in Manhattan, go and check it out. But photos only, folks. As of this recording, they are closed for renovation. But it's still definitely on my list of places to check out at some point. But again, just looking at it, it almost looks like it could be more like an asylum or a tuberculosis hospital. Just has a really eerie look to it. And I absolutely dig it and love it. Mm Mm-hmm. Many well-known people have called Hotel Chelsea home, actors, authors, poets, musicians, and so on. Dylan Thomas, a Welsh poet whose work includes And Death Shall Have No Dominion and Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night, was staying in room 205 when he contracted pneumonia and died several days later in a nearby hospital but it is here that he spent his last days his last home playwright arthur miller spent time here in the 1960s his room number 614 and actually wrote a short piece titled the chelsea effect i read it a bit on the long side so i won't read the whole thing but there's a few bits that i did want to share with you guys You see, Arthur Miller, he was in seek of privacy. Things were quickly changing in his life. Him and bombshell Marilyn Monroe have just divorced. He found the Chelsea to be, in his words, wonderfully out of the way place, nearly a slum where nobody would be likely to be looking for me. There were some unsavory folks who lived here as well. Miller would voice his concern many times to the big guy, the owner, but would speak upon deaf ears, unfortunately. With weird people come weird things. One of the things he wrote about, and I quote, Despite parboiling myself in the shower a few times, I began to like the hotel, or at least some of the residents, or denizens as some like to call themselves. 
You could get high in the elevators on the residue of marijuana smoke. What smoke? Mr. Bard would ask indignantly. Alan Ginsberg was hawking his new Fuck You magazine in the lobby sometimes. Warhol was shooting film in one of the suites. And a young woman with eyes so crazy that one remembered them as being above one another would show up in the lobby now and then, distributing a ream of mimographed curses on male people whom she accused of destroying her life and everything good and threatening to shoot a man one of these days. I had a serious talk, or what I took to be one with Mr. Bard and his son Stanley, who was gradually taking over. But they poo-pooed the idea of her doing anything rash. As I slowly learned, they were simply not interested in bad news of any kind. Of course, she shot Warhol two days later as he was entering the lobby from 23rd Street, aiming for his balls. But this only momentarily disturbed the even tenure of Chelsea Day. What with everything else going on? Yikes. So, speaking of bizarre and weird, okay, Miller talks a bit about one of Hotel Chelsea's all-too-unique residents. Check this out. Quote, What certainly did happen was George Kleinsinger, who had moved into the Chelsea from a regulation suburban marriage and got girls by keeping a fisheries exhibit in his room, and enormous glass tanks rising nearly to the ceiling, strange South American fish floated, some of them armored with pearly scales and wiry antennae waving up from their heads. In ample cages, large snakes lounged, vipers plodded, weird Amazon turtles with long snouts stared motionlessly, speckled Patagonian lizards, and an occasional small monkey made smells. Now and again, a snake would escape and the whole hotel would be on its knees looking under beds. A blind couple in the rooms next to mine had to have Mendel Rubin scour their apartment and not knowing how to call snakes he searched the closets calling as to a lost cat cleansinger's pleasure was to excite his guests particularly the ladies by opening his door for them with a fat cobra-like reptile draped over his shoulders hey sweetheart he composed music mainly for documentaries now, although he had begun as a writer of concert pieces and in the far distant past, I think, popular front oratios. Kleinsinger had a merry smile, a debonair manner, and a racking smoker's cough. <laughs> he had left the suburbs to live on the edge and the last time I saw him, shortly before he died, he was sprinting down 23rd Street in shorts and running shoes, pursuing health and his youth, trailing heavy smoke from a long cigar, and nodding pleasantly to neighborhood acquaintances along the way. Unquote. Now, what's interesting is, is that in another article, I actually found that the same gentleman, George Kleinsinger, what would inspire him most when he was playing the piano he was known to have a bowl of what I believe to be piranhas and he would stick his fingers gently in there and move them around and I don't know if it was for adrenaline or what 
but uh, you kind of need your fingers to play the piano, am I right? <laughs> so, I, I don't know. So anyways, back to Arthur Miller, he had been gone from Hotel Chelsea for quite some time, but always made it a point to stop by and visit. Well, one day the owner asked Miller, hey, why don't you like living here anymore? Miller replied, because I like surprises, but not where I'm living. Like when that girl got shot on the seventh floor, the owner, he plays it off as being confused. What girl? As if someone getting shot, it's easy to forget. I don't think so, sweetheart. Arthur replies, uh, the prostitute who got one eye and a finger shot off? Well, the boss man, he claims that he's never heard of such a crazy tale. And why do people keep saying things like that? <laughs> well, some things you just truly can't sweep under the old rug. One cannot mention Hotel Chelsea and not talk about Sex Pistols, Sid Vicious, and his girlfriend, Nancy Spungen. Something absolutely horrific took place within the walls of Hotel Chelsea on October 12th, 1978. Something that would bloodily forever link bassist Sid Vicious and his girlfriend Nancy Spungen forever. Nancy, she was a troubled young woman and was sadly diagnosed when she was 15 years old with schizophrenia. At age 17, she spent time on the streets of New York where she became a stripper and a prostitute. She got expelled from college and went to London, where she met and became involved with rocker Sid Vicious. Drugs and domestic abuse were constant companions in this rocky relationship. They soon found themselves living in New York City in Hotel Chelsea under Mr. and Mrs. John Simon Ritchie, which was Sid Vicious' real name in room 100, where consuming drugs? Well, that was just a daily thing for this duo. On the eve of October 12th, Nancy's body was found under the bathroom sink with an obvious stab wound. Automatically, it was believed that Sid Vicious murdered his lover. After all, they always fought with each other. He's the most logical choice, right? Makes sense. Well, maybe. I wasn't even born when this occurred. I do have an open mind, though, and think, hey, it could have been him. But what if it wasn't? Some highly and strongly believe that Nancy was murdered by a drug dealer who was known to stop by all the time and spend time and hang out with Nancy and Sid. I'd say, uh, I don't know, that could be a huge possibility also. Was it Nancy's angry lover, Sid? Or was it the not-so-friendly drug dealer who claimed Nancy's life? Well, you know, the case has long since been closed, so it's one of those things that we may truly not know the answer. As Sid Vicious was off on bail, he died of a heroin overdose before trial could even begin. Some of the residents who were living there at the time spoke about this sad event. In a journal entry dated back in October 12, 1978, the day of the murder, Andy Warhol penned these words. Quote, the police just arrested Sid Vicious for stabbing his 20-year-old manager girlfriend to death in the Chelsea Hotel. And then I saw on the news that Mr. Bard was saying, quote, oh yeah, they drank a lot and they would come in late, unquote. They just let anyone in over there. That hotel is very dangerous. It seems like somebody's killed there once a week, unquote. 
William Ivy Long shares as well, saying, quote, I remember walking past a body. It was not the first body that I had seen. When you live in an old SRO, which part of the Chelsea was, old people die, but they usually don't sit in the lobby. A policeman was guarding it. When I asked about it, they said, that's that rock and rollish girlfriend. Everybody said, oh, Sid Vicious killed her and slashed her throat, but I didn't see any blood. The body was on a gurney, covered by a sheet. A low gurney, I remember this. Knee high, not one of the ones they use for living people, unquote. Well, you know, guys, many lived here and many died here, casting countless memories, heartbreaks, drama, excitement, and what have you. I'd like to name some of the folks who called this place Hotel Chelsea home. Famous writers and authors Mark Twain, Tennessee Williams, Sam Shepard, Thomas Wolfe, and many other writers lived and wrote some of their finest work here. Actors Dennis Hopper, Uma Thurman, Ethan Hawke, Russell Brand, and several others lived here as well. Musicians happily and musically, la la la, also found solace here. Jim Morrison, Iggy Pop, Dee Dee Ramone, Johnny Thunders, Bob Dylan in Room 211, Alice Cooper, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and several others. I touched on some of the deaths connected to this hotel, and I want to share a few more. American author Charles Jackson, a talented man, however troubled, for many years he struggled with his addiction to pills and alcohol. After the success of The Lost Weekend, he began taking, taking second all. He later told his wife that unless he was under the influence, he would suffer from writer's block and become deeply depressed. He was in and out of the hospital, a longtime chain smoker. He contracted chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And at the end of his life, he also caught tuberculosis. After he got out of the hospital, he moved into Hotel Chelsea, where in 1968, he committed suicide in the last place he called home. In the 1980s, club kid Christina called the hotel home, and in 1989, on an unknown day in June, Christina, well, she died. Sadly enough, it was five days before her body would be discovered. She lived and died in room number 323. On hearing of her death, filmmaker Nelson Sullivan and a dear friend of Christina's, some even think her only true friend, well, Nelson said, did you hear about Christina? They found Christina in the hotel room at the Chelsea the other day. It's horrible. She's my good friend and now she's gone. I'm upset. Well, Nelson himself would die a month after his good friend due to a heart attack. There's not much information when it comes to Christina's death. We know she breathed her last breath at Hotel Chelsea. Some have long since speculated that she took her own life, while others think perhaps she was murdered. Who knows? In research for this episode, I found a haunting account from Viva, who's a writer, painter, and actor, who shares a haunting memory. Quote, there were a lot of suicides out those windows. One night, a guy from the floor above us landed in a metal table in the courtyard on his head. The very next day, another guy jumped out the window onto the synagogue next door. It was just after John Lennon was shot. 
But this man, he did not die. He was bloody but conscious. He was being carried down the hall on a stretcher, and I asked him, why did he jump out that window? He said, because John Lennon was shot. I must mention, Viva was sort of a rebel. One day she decided her apartment, well, it was too tiny and it just wouldn't do. She knew the room next door was empty. So she decided, hey, why not? I'm going to make my live-in area just a little bigger and larger by making a huge hole in that wall right there, which, as you can imagine, didn't go well with management. It seems like the history of this hotel would be a screenwriter's dream. Here you have affairs and life and death, suicides, murder, mysterious fires, hauntings galore, bizarre live-in residents, and so much more. This hotel is considered to be one of the most haunted locations in New York. Why is Hotel Chelsea so haunted? Let's talk about some of these phenomenal hauntings. While researching some of the hauntings linked to Hotel Chelsea, I found the following. In 2009, a guest staying in room 114 claims to have had a paranormal encounter on the last night of her stay. While she was in her bed, she felt uncomfortable and frightened. She then heard a loud door slamming sound, which was quickly followed by the sounds of someone running. Well, this went on for several minutes. She then experienced hearing footsteps close to her bed, almost surrounding her. As if this wasn't enough for the hotel guests, she also saw a frightening image in the bedroom mirror. A severed head and dramatic theater makeup just hovering there. The woman said it appeared to be the face and head of the late writer, Dylan Thomas. Another woman who had an equally eerie encounter woke up to find Dylan Thomas standing at the end of her bed, staring at her, observing her. She laid there, horrified, staring back. After what felt like long moments, it dissipated. In room 100, where Sid and Nancy stayed and where Nancy was murdered, there have been reports of hearing two people yelling and fighting, but when checked, no one is there. Loud music is also reported in this room. Makes sense. He was a rocker. Part of Sex Pistols. Makes total sense. Past guests have bore witness to seeing the apparition of Sid Vicious on the first floor elevator. Another haunting encounter comes from a gentleman, a fellow sensitive, who, in 2008, was a guest staying in room number 120. He had only been there for 10 minutes when he requested another room, saying that the spirit energy was incredibly sad in this room and in the back by the bathroom, making the guest not able to breathe very well. As a person who suffers from asthma, I could totally be sympathetic to his situation. The sensitive says that the spirit was lost and looking for help, unable to leave the hotel. Sadly enough, the sensitive who tried found that he was unable to help this lost soul. Maybe someday somebody will be able to do so if they cross paths with the spirit in or near room 120. Meanwhile, room number 124, more sweet than a room, has long since been rumored to be haunted. Many people have had paranormal and unexplained encounters and experiences here. A woman has been heard screaming many times. 
In the bathroom, a ghostly presence has been seen and felt. People think this is an old man. One hotel guest actually took a picture and upon arriving back home realized something was in this picture. It appeared to be what could only be described like a skeleton standing behind a door frame. Creepy indeed and what an incredible find. In room 205, many have experienced what they believe to be the spirit of poet Dylan Thomas, who we just mentioned earlier, many times hearing aggressive footsteps pacing in his room. Switch back to room 114, where the woman heard footsteps and his head. I guess you may run into him in either room. In room 915, a hotel guest said he was awakened at 4 a.m. and was strangely handed a glow-in-the-dark frisbee by an energy. He said this encounter did not frighten him, and he was able to go back to sleep. Actor Michael Imperioli, and I'm sure I said that last name wrong, so sorry about that, Michael. He had an experience he will never forget that occurred within the walls of Hotel Chelsea. An experience he shared on TV show Celebrity Ghost Sightings. An experience that left him fleeing the historic hotel. Michael encountered Mary, a Titanic survivor, a resident spirit that remains on the fifth floor. He was living there for about two months, and Hotel Chelsea, back in the day, housed many of the survivors and family members of the heartbreaking sinking of the Titanic. This includes Mary, a woman who lost her husband who sank with the Titanic. Understandably so, Mary, she was absolutely heartbroken. Well, she hanged herself in her room which was on the fifth floor where the actor ran into her. This is his account of the encounter. Quote, at the end of the hallway was a figure of a woman in the corner, kind of hunched over. Her head was down. She was crying. I called out and said, are you okay? Right after I said that from behind me, I heard a loud pop. I turned around immediately. The light bulb in the fixture had popped. So that part of the hallway became very dark, and when I turned around, she was completely gone. Now, I must say, some accounts say that Mary herself was a survivor, when others say she had traveled to the hotel from Buffalo to await her husband's arrival. Whatever happened, whichever happened, I just can't even imagine what this poor woman went through, losing her husband. Another resonant spirit here goes by the name Nadia, known as the Severed Hand Ghost. In 1922, the New York Times reported on a young woman, Nadia, who flung herself out of the window facing 23rd Street, falling to her death. But not before she placed her right hand in the middle of huge industrial scissors. Remember her nickname, the Severed Hand Ghost. She used those scissors to cut her hand off. Why? Who knows, but the pain proved to be too much for her. Duh, and she ended that pain by jumping out the window. Seriously, what was going through Nadia's head when she put her hand in those scissors? What led her to do such a horrific assault to her own body? Let's rewind a little. Nadia grew up at Hotel Chelsea, the daughter of a wealthy silk merchant. She was a spoiled young lady. She met a man, fell in love, had children by him, and in a few short years, found herself to be married to an alcoholic who preferred a date with the bottle than spend time with her or their children. She went back to the hotel begging her dad 
for forgiveness and a place to stay. Well, he still showed sadness and signs that she betrayed him and the family, leaving happiness and a promising future for a belligerent drunk. Well, he took pity on her children. He agreed for her and her family to return, but under some conditions. She was to be responsible for the house cleaning, the housekeeping, the upkeep, and to contribute to the household income. She was to bring in piecework sewing. Being an artist, she tried to find time to do just that. Create beautiful works of art, but found she never had time. Her hands, well, they began to get ruined with the constant housework she had on her shoulders. On a moonless night, she decided to cut off her hand. It is here, in New York City's moonless nights, that Nadia has been sighted, flinging herself out the windows of the hotel. Her long hair and wispy white gown flowing behind her. Hotel Chelsea made headlines last year when they held an auction. They auctioned off several of the original doors from when it first opened. When all those famous people lived there so long ago. Creating memories and surviving memories. Some of those doors include the rooms of Janis Joplin. Sid Vicious. Mark Twain, Jimi Hendrix, Bob Marley, and many others. The price tags? Well, they were hefty. Let me throw some prices your way. Humphrey Bogart's door sold for 5500 bucks. Jimi Hendrix? Well, his door went for 13000 bucks. While the door for actress Eddie Sedgwick's room, which you could see in the 1966 film Chelsea Girls well that bad girl went for a whopping $52,500 but wait it gets higher back in the day Leonard Cohen and Janis Joplin would often get together here a safe haven for their love affair they dubbed the door the Cohen and Joplin do not disturb door that bad boy went for 85,000 big ones The head honcho of the auction got that beat, though. The star of the whole event? Guess whose door that was? Mr. Bob Dylan for an incredible $100,000. For a door, mind you. A phenomenal piece of history, but um, still very pricey nonetheless. One thing Hotel Chelsea certainly does not lack is the paranormal happenings and the unique history and the spirits that reside here. For several years, the hotel was shut down after being sold and undergoing major renovations. Interesting thing is that back in 2011, they closed the doors, promising, hey, we're going to reopen in a year. That's all we need. Just one year for renovation. Well, eight years later, you guys, this historic site still remains closed, unfortunately, even though some residents still live there due to having ironclad, untouchable agreements saying, hey, you can live here. The only way you could move out or get kicked out is if you agree to it. So even though they're under renovations and living situations might not be the best, several people still remain there to this day. It is said they will open back up in 2019. When I tried to find a date, as we only have a few more weeks left of 2019, I was unsuccessful. But I did encounter article titles like another year of hell of construction and so on. 
Whatever the case may be, I'm rooting for Hotel Chelsea to open its doors again. I don't know about you, but all this talk? Mm-hmm. Well, all this talk about haunted hotels makes me want to jump in my car, hit the pavement, and find a spooky inn to stay at and investigate. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Check them all out, as they are equally fantastic. Want a weekly reminder when a brand new episode is ready to be heard? Hit that subscribe button to Paranormal Prowlers Podcast now through Deezer, CastBox, Overcast, Podcast Republic, Pocket Cast, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and yada, 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 many others. So I don't know about you, but tomorrow is October 1st. Now, I'm an October baby, born October 22nd, for those of you who want to send cards. <laughs> but out of all seriousness, I love October. I just love the festive feeling and mood that comes with it. October, where you could drink as much pumpkin spice as you want. Carving those jack-o'-lanterns, whether it's a pumpkin or a turnip. Keeping your ear out for those howling, howling wolves or werewolves. Ooh. Yes, love it. October, where, for me at least, on the TV, it's nothing but scary movies, baby. See you guys in October. Ta-ta, my friends. Stay spooky. Never found